This is WCG Patient Radio. Hello, everybody. I'm Steve Smith from Patient Advocacy at WCG. We're a company that provides ethical treatment of the people who volunteer for clinical trials and related services that make those trials go faster and keep them safe. We're speaking today with Amanda Moore. She's the mother of four-year-old Jackson, a boy who has Angelman's syndrome, a rare disease. Hello, Amanda. Hello. Thanks for having me. Amanda, you're the um, not only the mother of Jackson, you're the CEO of the patient advocacy group for his disease called Angelman's Syndrome Foundation. And um, it is an advocacy group that you run um, after having a long career in um, running not-for-profits in areas totally unrelated to disease. But if I uh, remember correctly, you jumped right into running that group just after your son was diagnosed. Uh, Tell us about what Angelman syndrome is and how you learned about the diagnosis and the impact on your family and so forth. Sure. So Angelman syndrome is a rare disease that affects about one in 15,000 um, children um, in the world. And so it is basically a deletion or a mutation of the 15th chromosome. So um, kids with Angelman syndrome suffer with things like seizures, um, developmental delays, I think one of the hardest things um, outside of seizures is they also struggle with sleep issues. So um, some of our kids just don't need sleep to operate. And so Jackson may sleep one or two hours of, um, at night and that's all he really sleeps. And so that's a, a big struggle and a big part of the syndrome that's really hard for families as well. And so, you know, uh, we, uh, we actually have twin boys, Jackson and Baden, and Jackson has Angelman syndrome and we, we kind of discovered early on that there was definitely something going on as far as delays with him because we had a carbon copy basically of what he should be doing right next to him and his twin brother. And, um, you know, we're struggling to get answers, getting all the tests and getting, you know, the answers from the doctors of, you know, he was a twin, so he's going to be delayed or every kid develops differently. Um, and, you know, kind of the, kind of the, the, some of the things that you get when you're trying to figure out a diagnosis and, we uh, we had an incident where Jackson got really sick and spiked a fever and had his first seizure. And so we rushed him to the hospital and we were lucky to have a neurologist on duty that um, had seen that um, the, the seizure pattern before in another child in Indiana with Angelman syndrome, which is very rare because it is such a small, a small community. Um, and then we were diagnosed shortly after that with Angelman syndrome. And what did the diagnosis uh, do uh, in term, inside your family? I mean, what is that like to learn about uh, that there are going to be such developmental and um, problems and seizures and sleep problems and that it's lifetime and I'm guessing there was no cure? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the doctors kind of gave us a very um, discouraging outlook of what our life may be with Jackson. And so, you know, I often tell families that I can still remember the smell and the the um, what Jackson was wearing. There was a light flickering on and off at the top of the hotel of the hospital room. I remember every single aspect of that hospital room when the doctor said he has Angelman syndrome. Um, and feeling like the feeling of almost death, like you're mourning the child or the life you thought that that child was going to have because you just have no clue what you're what to expect. And so, um, you know, there was a lot of despair, but despair for me as a parent quickly turned into 
I can wallow in this and let, let it overcome me or I can take action. And so I reached out very quickly um, to the Angelman Syndrome Foundation and said, I just got this diagnosis. We're such so overwhelmed as a family, but the only way I know how to cope is by taking action. What can I do? How can I get involved? And so I joined the Angelman Syndrome Foundation board um, like two or three weeks after diagnosis. Um, and oh, that, I guess the rest is interesting. Yeah. 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 And did, did as uh, so there in that advocacy group, you're no doubt coming into contact with many other parents who are uh, in the situation that you were in or there are parents who are way down yeah. the road from where you are. Is that right? Is that how it happens? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, you know, I uh, reached out very quickly to another mother here in Indiana that had a child with Angelman syndrome who at the time was um, five years old. So she was, you know, she had, she was a couple of years ahead of us. And um, just having that phone call really lifted up my husband and I, because we were told by doctors that Jackson wouldn't walk, that he wouldn't talk, he wouldn't be able to feed himself, that, you know, we would be taking care of him. Um, 24 hours every day for the rest of his life. And so that's terrifying as a parent. Um, but as we started talking to families, we got a much different picture of this diagnosis and how kids are um, really excelling, especially with early intervention and really good therapies. You know, Jackson, he's um, four and a half now and he's walking, he's feeding himself. He is able to communicate in his own way. Um, either through signing or through, you know, working on augmentative communication devices. So he has already kind of defied what the doctor said that he would do, um, which is a, a which is a typical story for our families. And, and are you are you saying that he's walking and not so developmentally delayed because he's taking medicine? There's are approved there are there approved therapies for him, or is it because There's, his manifestation yeah. is more mild? That's, and so that's a good question. The one thing that um, is interesting about Angelman syndrome is every child with Angelman syndrome develops and succeeds in such a different um, way and a different pace. So what we tell families is early intervention is huge and there is no medication, but there are, well, I shouldn't say there are medications to treat symptoms like Jackson's on seizure medication to ensure that he's not having those seizures. We take, uh, you know, melatonin for the sleep issues, but the best intervention you can do when you're diagnosed is, is to get in, get them into early therapies, physical therapy, occupation, uh, occupational therapy, speech therapy. And so because of all of the really strong therapies that he was in, he was he is able to walk and he is able to feed himself and do those things because we have such great therapists. And we were very, we were able to get him into some early interventions, um, you know, early on in the diagnosis. So, so diagnosis in rare disease often isn't so straightforward. It sounds like you got it fairly right. quickly. Can you say something about the importance of diagnosis and what's what is the landscape in, in your patient community? Is everybody getting diagnosed easily now, and do they get genetic counseling when they get the diagnosis, or what's that like? That's a great question, and I think it's it's situational by each family. So, you know, if you would have asked the parents who have children with Angelman syndrome now that are adults, you, they will tell you their, diagnose, their diagnosis odyssey was much different. It took, a, it took longer because, you know, Angelman syndrome has just been recently diagnosed within the last 25, 30 plus years. And so it's, you know, it's kind of a newer 
disease. And so a lot of families were getting misdiagnosed with having cerebral palsy or having, you know, a, a high level of autism, uh, just different diagnosis. And so they were still trying to figure out um, their diagnosis. So they weren't getting some of those interventions early on. Now that's changed. I think the, you know, as we've become more progressive, as we have you know, as both of the, you know, the foundations all across the world, there's different foundations supporting families with Angelman syndrome have gotten really more vocal and really, uh, really making sure that we're advocating and educating families um, to, you know, to be real um, advocates to get that diagnosis, get that diagnosis early, get the genetic testing. You know, we still have some families that have the clinical diagnosis, but not the genetic diagnosis because genetic testing can be expensive. And so we're working through that too as a patient advocacy foundation is how we help alleviate some of the, the asset, the, um, getting, um, access to, um, uh, genetic testing. And so it's the odyssey of diagnosis is so different for everyone else, but it is now getting diagnosed earlier on in life than it was five, 10, 15 years ago. That's good. Good to know. That makes a big difference. And yes, what about the uh, are there clinical trials for um, to try to develop better or new uh, medicines actually for this? Sure. So um, there's a there's a lot of uh, uh, industry partners that are in the space. You know, when I, when we were first diagnosed, there were maybe one or two industry partners in the space of trying to develop drugs um, to support um, children with Angelman syndrome. And, you know, fast forward two years, and now we're looking at, you know, 12, 13 different industry partners that are in the space of developing different drugs um, for, for our families. And so, the, you know, the, the, really, the first industry partner that was really huge in this game was Ovid, and they've, you know, created um, a possible medication to alleviate some of the symptoms of Angelman syndrome, and they're in phase three trials right now. And then last week, it was just in, announced at the um, Foundations of Angelman Syndrome Therapeutic Summit which is another patient advocacy organization, that um, there are four new companies, industry partners that have moved into phase one clinical trials, and three of them being um, clinical trials that are going to be um, in phase one for testing ASOs, which is a, a, you know, a form of gene therapy. So this is, could be very transformational for our families as we move forward. We don't know tons of information of what these phase one trials look like and what this, you know, what these medications are going to do for our kids. That's, you know, the whole process of, uh, of clinical trials. But what we do know is possible that, um, you know, that in, in the next few years, we're going to start really seeing some great results of what some of these clinical trials and some of these medications are going to do to increase the quality of life for our children and eventually possibly find a cure, which is, you know, you would have asked me two or three years ago as a parent, is this possible? You know, as a parent, I would say, I hope, you know, all I can do is hope. Um, but now that I'm really into the space and having great conversations with our partners and seeing the research and science beyond, uh, with, oh, that goes on behind all of this, I'm more than hopeful. And I'm, and then we're determined, right? It's going, like, we are determined that it's going to happen. So we're really excited that these industry partners have um, really taken a look at Angelman syndrome and invested, you know, millions and millions of dollars into the into the space. 
Yes, it must have been um, something which is uh, in the genetic sequencing has been discovered or something which has brought yes. a number of companies in to do ASOs. And I, I understand there's somebody working on CRISPR. And so that's very precision yes, medicine, yeah. that's, uh, really targeting the DNA of the individual. And it's um, absolutely can bring a lot of hope right now. Absolutely. Uh, I know you, you, um, companies like uh, Ultragenics spoke at your conference last week and Ionics and Roche Genentech and Neuron. So they're you're um, lucky as patient advocacy group goes in, a, in a, any disease group to have clinical trials, especially since you can remember Ab the days. A lot of people Absolutely. who are still around you remember there were no trials. Absolutely. What are the concerns we are, of the families? We are very lucky. What yeah, are the concerns so the, uh, the of the families as you're looking at the clinical trials and the things that, uh, you know, you're going to be, basically those are experimental tests on people, which is necessary to get the medical in your community, but what are some of their concerns? Sure. I think, you know, right now there's so many questions that aren't answered. So, you know, there's so much excitement that this is happening, but now the questions are, will my child be um, um, able to participate in the trial? Is it going to be safe? You know, we're talking about putting, um, putting children under, you know, through anesthesia and, and injecting, you know, medications um, into their spine, like the safety aspect, like, you know, do I want to put my child through something like that? Are they going to be okay? What is the outcome going to be? Like, what, will there be true results from this? Um, is it, you know, one of the big questions a lot of our families have is also like, is it too late for my child? Is my child too old? Is this, you know, therapeutic only going to work in children that are younger? Um, and we, we've had some science that has just, was just released um, last week as well, that has said that um, that that is no longer the case. That there may not be a therapeutic window that's ideal. And so there, I, there's just a lot of questions because this is new for our community as moving into a, you know phase one trials of a possible curative treatment. So you know there's there's still so much in the air and like the timeline. You know we're in phase one trials, but when when will my child get this medication or possibly this medication? Like understanding the different um, timestamps of each one of these phases um, and, you know, who is going to be the age group that they're going to be testing on? Is it going to be safe? So there's a lot of questions, you know, and as patient advocacy organization, that's really our jobs is to work with our industry partners to get these answers and to educate our families. We're going to be, the, the Angelman Syndrome Foundation is going to be releasing a clinical trial um, page uh, website here and then uh, next month or so that's going to have a lot of these answers and they're also going to we're also going to have a clinical trial decision making tool for our families so it's kind of a tool that will walk each family through the um, kind of the the phases of asking really important questions about clinical trials and making those decisions for your families and so these tools are going to be essential as we move into this space because it is new space for our families we've done we've had a lot of clinical trials that are very research outcome by you know biomarkers based but um, not mm -hmm. any that are you know outside of Ovid not any that are going to be as um, you know are, you know as intense as the ones we're moving into yeah, so you're you're making some really good points. A lot of members of the public who don't have experience with clinical trials or serious disease um, may think that a clinical trial is sort of uh, remote and something that doesn't affect everybody, and they would never want to do it. But if you're like like me, I have a son with another rare disease. 
our communities want clinical trials because that's often the only way right. we're going to get medicine. And we want these diseases stopped now. We don't want to someday Absolutely. in the future hear about it because the progress, the, the progressive damage is irreversible in many cases. So you've talked about Absolutely. the importance of getting diagnosed so you can get into that therapy before there's damage. You've talked about the fact there's a trial and there's excitement in the community. But sure, there, of course, there are lots of concerns. And are the mm -hmm. um, pharmaceutical companies um, partnering with you? Um, my guess is that they're interacting and sharing lots of information and getting to know the, you and the um, kids and the adults with Angelman syndrome mm -hmm. so they can understand what they're um, dealing with. Absolutely. We have, I mean, all of our industry partners have been very intimate with the foundations, um, both the Angelman Syndrome Foundation and the, you know, FAST, the Foundation for Angelman Syndrome Therapeutics. And then, you know, the other ones that are um, out of the United States that are really supporting our families as well. These industry partners are doing their best to communicate, keep us up to date and let us know um, the information as it comes. You know, some things they can't, you know, uh, you, you're probably very familiar with industry, you know, the industry and pharmaceuticals, and there's things that they can't tell us right now and that they can't share right now. And so as soon as they have information, they've done our, their best to really communicate. But, you know, the next role here and that what we have been really advocating for here at the foundation is we really need you to be in the space of educating our families about what your clinical trial is going to look like. We need to be able to give them as much information to make the best decision for their families as we move forward. So that's kind of the space we're in now is creating these education tools with in, in partnership with the industry partners to ensure that that, that um, education is getting done for our families. Yes, and on that note, uh, we have to come to a close, but you've really done a, yes. a wonderful uh, service to everybody listening, especially if a person is a newly diagnosed family member in any disease, yes. especially if it's rare where there aren't that many people around they can find, that they want to get to diagnosis as quickly as they can, and they want to get to an advocacy group like yours because yes. that gives the, that's the, that is the information clearinghouse to get information that you really need to slow the disease down if you can, to find the treatment if it exists, and at least to meet people who can help you deal with the day-to-day. -day. So those, Absolutely. You, know, you really play a wonderful service, and I admire so much what you and the Angelman Syndrome Foundation does. Can you tell us the well, URL? Well, thanks for having us on. Yeah. Yeah, it's just www.angelman.org. Very simple. Okay, www.angelman.org. And I'm going to thank you very much, Amanda Moore, for talking to us today. And this is WCG Patient Radio. We've been speaking with Amanda Moore, who is the Chief Executive Officer of the Angelman Syndrome Foundation, a not-for-profit that deals with Angelman Syndrome, a rare disease that her four-year-old son has. Thank you, Amanda. Have a nice day. Thank you. You too.